It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome aboard the Strange Boat Podcast. I'm Keith Arthur and joining me is Tom Scully. Tom's one of the young breed of angs, remember everyone's young to me, so it's relative, who's made a great name for himself in the sport, and not only as an angler. With his media hat on, Tom produces loads of great videos, catch more media, so I'm really interested to find out how he fits it all in. Tom, hope you're well and catching a few. How are you, mate? I'm really good, and thank you for inviting me on, Keith. It's lovely to be, be on here. I remember as a kid watching you on tight lines, you, uh, you're one of the heroes of the game, so it's uh, lovely to, to be asked on. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome, mate. Thank you. Uh, where, and, and let's talk about fishing first, um, because I assume fishing media stemmed from fishing. But let's start with fishing first. Where did it all start for you? How did you get into our noble sport? It's strange, you know. As, as a kid, I can remember walking by the river in the local park in Sheffield where I grew up and um, just being fascinated by the water and thinking, I wonder what lives under the surface. And um both my grandparents had a very sort of casual interest in fishing. You know, they'd been a, a couple of times when they were younger. I pestered them, and eventually they took me sea fishing off off Whitby, and I, I caught a, a cod on holiday. And I always remember, and that was the start of it, really. Since catching that, I, I pestered dad and mum and granddad to take me again. Um, and uh, eventually they did. And the first time we went, I always remember, we went to Wiremill Dam, which is a little place near where I live, and we never caught anything. And then... The second time, fortunately, an angler who knew what he was doing took pity on me and my, my mum, as it was, and uh, gave us some maggots, and I caught seven perch. And it just stemmed from there, really. Just literally, once once you sort of hooked, you're hooked, aren't you? And uh, I was basically then pestering them at every opportunity to take me fishing. And uh, I, as I grew older, I joined a club and pestered everybody in the club to take me fishing and, and went from there. So you got the great start then, the, the start that most kids... In, of my generation got you start either with a perch or with a gudgeon usually a perch because they're greedier yeah that was it yeah it, it must have took pity on me this one but uh, i can still remember like it, it was yesterday that feeling when you sort of strike and you you feel that judder down the rod it's uh yeah i mean and it, it's strange you know I, I remember that feeling and since then i've took other people fishing and i don't know about you keith but i always think you can tell straight away whether someone's going to get into it because i 
I remember taking my cousin and his first fish was a crucian about a pound. It was massive crucian, as it seemed to us as kids. And he was just nonplussed. He was like, oh, that's nice. And, and that was the end of it. And I was like jumping all over, like, you've got a crucian. Um, and he, he hasn't really fished since. And yet, you know, you can tell straight away, can't you, whether somebody's got the bug, I think. Yeah. I, I feel quite sad, and this is a bit generational. I feel quite sad who's for, for young people who are taken fishing, maybe even by their parents, and their first fish is like a 15-pound carp. Where'd you go for yeah. that? I mean, I'll, I'll let you into a secret now, and this is a secret nobody else knows, and it must stay a secret. Um, I work, you know, my work, we get hooked on fishing. We have... Um, school children sent to us that have got particular problems mm. and to cut a very long story short this one of them is mad on carp mad on carp all he wants to do is see carp and catch carp we fish with three meter whips four meter whips sometimes and this week he caught a five pounds five ounce perch no that's incredible yeah a five pounds five ounce perch and it was okay but it weren't a carp <laughs> What's the record? Honestly, I'm not kidding. You know, it's, what's the record? Is it, it's, it's an unbelievable. I mean, that is the fish of many lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. The, the record was only five pound not so long ago, wasn't it? Is it six pound yeah, now? Six three it is now. I, I remember holding John Shaler's record carp when he caught it at Horse Monden that was five pounds nine and a half. I held it while they zeroed the scales. So, wow. Uh, yeah, that, that was That's not that incredible. Long ago. Five pound five. Yeah, it was incredible. I wasn't there, um, but I've seen. I've not seen photos of him with the fish because we're not allowed to take photos of him with the fish because he's part of GDPR and he's, he's sort yes, of vulnerable. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but what a oh. fish. Yeah. Well, it's not a carp though, is it? Next time <laughs> I see him, he'll say, where can we catch, want to catch a carp, want to catch a carp. <laughs> so, but that's, that's a, a phenomenal start catching, um, catching a perch. Not, start. Yeah. I think it's the first, the, yeah, it should be everybody. So Bob Nudd calls them boys fish. And, yeah. um, but there you go. Um, so, from there, it's quite a quantum leap, and we'll just miss out a bit of the fishing because I'm sure you gradually worked your way up to be a proficient match angler. Um, mm. Through how did you do that? Did you start on the open scene, or did you go through clubs? I was very lucky, really, in that um, we lived in a place called Woodseats in Sheffield, and the the house where we live was round the corner from a local tackle shop uh, called Woodseats Angling, and uh, they, the guy who ran it, Mark Holmes, he, he ran a few clubs. Um, and I had no real way of getting around at this age. You know, my mum and dad would take me when when they could. But um, the fact that this tackle shop was so close and these blokes who went in this tackle shop went on club matches meant I could sort of hijack lifts off them. So I was able to um, pick the brains about fishing. They taught me so much in those early years. But also, you know, taking me fishing in different places uh, all over the South Yorkshire area. And we're lucky around here. I mean, um, Sheffield's got a lot of a lot of anglers and within a sort of 20 mile radius of the city, there's loads of really good fisheries. So, um, you know, without going too far, um, I had a match sort of most weekends, most days, you know? Um, and so I club fished with those until I was about 21, um, 22. And then, um, I got my first car and it was quite strange how it happened. Keith, really. I always remember I, I was working for Keith Higginbottom at the, that time who had, um, uh, Northern Angling Today was was, was the, the, the title it was launching up north to go along with Midland Angler and Southern Angler, which were the other two titles in the, the stable. Um, and so after he left Angling Times? It was, yeah. He, he, he left Angling yeah. Times and set up, it was called Regional Angling Magazines, um, which was yeah. 
Um, his idea was to buy um, Midland and Southern Angler from David Hall and then launch a northern title and have them like as a stable of, of, of three magazines uh, covering different areas. And, he, and I was working on the northern one with him. And uh, he asked me to go and do an interview with a lad called Matt Godfrey, who just won his second world championship. So, uh, I, again, I still not got a car, but I could drive. So I borrowed Keith's car, went out to Wales, where Matt lives, and uh, met this young lad on, on the pond and got we got on really, really well. And uh, a, a bit later that year, um, I got my own vehicle. And uh, I remember saying to him, um, do you fancy going and fishing a few open matches, Matt? I'm sort of doing the club fishing. I'd, I'd like to make the next step and go into opens. And he, he said, yeah, I'd love to. And he'd got nobody to to take him all the time. His dad and mum, again, did everything they could for him. But obviously, he did a lot with his international fishing. But week to week, he often couldn't get a lift to matches. Um, so we just started going fishing together, really. And, and that was great for me because I could obviously pick the brains of one of the best young anglers in the country. Um, he's about three or four, about four years younger than me, Matt. Um, but like at that point, it was an infinitely better angler. Um, still is for that matter. But uh, I could pick his brains and we travelled all over um, fishing matches. And, and and that was the start for me, really, I'd say, of, of you know, breaking onto the open circuit and beyond. Um, me and Matt travelling all over and, uh, and, yeah, fishing fishing matches up and down the country. I take, take it that's not the Wales, that's the other end of the M40. No, no, it's a little little village near Sheffield. That one, Wales Bar, as we call it. Um, but um, yeah, it, it was one of those things. It was a bit of a bit of a, a chance meeting, you know. And um, we're doing that feature, and we said we just, we just sort of hit it off, and we said, right, well, you know, we're both at a stage where we wanted to go fishing more, and I just got this car, which was a green Hyundai Get. So I always remember going to Whitecakers in it for a festival once, and. I still think back, how the hell did we get two full sets of match tackle in a Hyundai Gets to go to, to Whiteacres? But we managed it, and uh, and we got went to Porth Reservoir, and the police pulled us over in this thing because Matt had got a platform on his legs, ground bait bucket on his knee. I'm thinking, we're in trouble here, you know. This, this police, unfortunately, he just wound the window down and said, you're going far too fast on these Cornish lanes. I'm thinking, oh, dear. And then he's gone, go on, on your way, and we got away with it, but... Yeah, it was um, it was it was a good time that sort of days of innocence. It's incredible that that before you st- to me because I have no you know I've I've done a little bit of digging about mm. you. you. I couldn't find anything on Wikipedia, which is good because sometimes it doesn't always print the truth as I found out to my cost. But anyway, um, you you um, you were already into journalism before you started proper match fishing. Yeah, um, I. Um... I wanted to be, a, weirdly enough, I wanted to be an English teacher when I was younger. So I started doing a degree in English. Um, but at that time, uh, Jim Baxter ran the Angling Star, which was the local paper in Sheffield, this area. And uh, I was told by uh, one of my tutors to send, if you could get a piece of work published, it would help with your portfolio type thing. So I, I, I sent a piece into Jim and he printed it in the Angling Star, which was sort of the beginning of the journalism career in that sense. Um and I, and I wrote for Jim for quite a few years um, until sort of Keith came along and I was lucky enough to be invited to to work with him. Um, so, yeah, journalism did come first. And then gradually, as I was writing about fishing and enjoying doing it, I sort of had a change of heart while I was at uni and thought, you know what, if I could earn a living writing about fishing, that's the dream, um, that's what I'll do. So that's what I uh, I tried to do after after that. And luckily, I got some breaks along the way, really. 
Did you work for Angling Times? I, I'm, I'm sure I remember seeing your name in Angling Times. No, I never worked for Angling Times. Um, I basically had that spell with regional angling magazines with Keith, um, and then unfortunately that that company went bust. Um, I had about a year working for a chap called Mark Cooper building a fishing website called Fishing for Fun. Um, but then as I was doing that, I saw an advert for the editorial assistant role on Pole Fishing Magazine, which was in David Hall's stable. That's it, DHP. That's where I'm yeah. from. Yeah, I went, I, went to, I went to work for Pole Fishing Magazine. Um, I had sort of three or four years, uh, probably a bit less, so two and a half, three years working on Pole Fishing Magazine. Um, and then... I was lucky enough to become editor of, of that and then um, moved on to Match Fishing Magazine and, and stayed on that until uh, 2017 when I left. It's been a grounding for so many people that write really well and really successfully about angling. And I'm not necessarily including myself in that, but I had my first article published in the original Course Fishing, Course Fisherman magazine before it became David Hall's Course Fisherman and, and the Dave Phillips saga and everything um, in 1979. Really? It was the first thing I'd ever written. Yeah, first thing I'd ever written. And it was about the um, the birth and rejection by the London Anglers Association of the Block M Feeder several years before. And right. I wrote it as a fairy tale. Okay. And, um, you know, with, with the evil prince and all that kind of stuff and the, the wicked witch. And he sent it back to me. He said, don't mess up out, write it properly write it as a proper piece so i did and he published it and, and then you know I, I i did quite well with all his magazines only as a contributor i never I, I worked from for about six weeks which is which was a sorry tale of things gone very very wrong and lots of misunderstandings but anyway um yeah i wasn't writing i wasn't i was writing from them but i wasn't employed by them to write so yeah it was um it, it's been a good grounding for so many people i think because he saw talent and then by correction, not in your case, but by correction in many people's cases, put their writing in order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so they learn to write on the job, if you like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he, he's always said to me um, that he employed anglers who could write rather than the other way around. It was, it, he always made that uh, distinction that he wanted the, the, the person doing the journalism to have the fishing knowledge first and foremost rather than the journalism knowledge. Um, so I think you're 100% right with that model. He did, didn't he? I mean, with me, I learned so much off David. He was a, a really good mentor. And, and he, he sort of, he looked after me very, very well. Um, you know, I, I think I was lucky, really, in that when I joined, the company was still growing, really. It was a big company. There was 80-odd people working for DHP then. Um, and obviously, since then, we've seen the demise a little bit of print media, and it shrunk right down to, a much smaller company, which it, which it was when I left. Um, but fantastic few years. We lived in Daventry. Um, had a little um, little house down there that I bought. And uh, Matt Godfrey lived with me for about four or five years. Joe Carras lived with me for, for a couple of years. So we had a bit of a bachelor pad, fishing house, uh, literally just years of fun, really. It, it, it was good. Again, probably an extension, Keith, of those uh, years of innocence, as you say. Like, no responsibility, just uh, fishing and drinking and Good times. <laughs> <laughs> and a bit of work thrown in. It, it, it's, I mean, I know to my cost, well, not to my cost, to my angling cost, how difficult it is to mix the two things. I mean, mm. I, I was fine until really tight line started and then that became you know, every week and then the radio show as well. Every So every 
Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday and Sunday, I couldn't yeah. go fishing. Yeah. And that yeah. sort of curtails your fishing a bit. I used to manage some matches at Gold Valley because the radio show finished at 8 o'clock. The draw at Gold Valley was at 8 o'clock and it's about an hour's journey. So they used to pick, pick a peg for me. I used to drive there, park up and go straight to my peg and have sort of maybe one whip set, one rod set up or one pole set up. I had most of them already set up. I used to throw them out the back of the car. I had um, three pole rigs. Um, on the, on a winder, I had a gold lake winder, a syndicate lake winder, and a middle lake winder, and I had three rigs on each of them, like a shallow one, and on the drop one, and a de- and a bottom one, and um, a, a method feeder rod or a feeder rod. Method wasn't allowed then, and a feeder rod made up in the car, and the good old pellet waggler in the summer, and a roach waggler in the winter. That was, uh, but that was that was quite difficult, and and uh, I only got one speeding ticket, and I was very unlucky with that. But that's a different story. But I know <laughs> how difficult it is to combine. This is. Uh, you're obviously now a widely travelled and extensively fished match angler. You you fish at the top level, don't you? You you, you compete in oh, what, yeah, what, yeah. what event? What big events? Do you, what big events do you go in? What what's your favourite events? I've had a bit of a, a sea change this year, actually, Keith. In that up until last year, I prided myself on being an all rounder. So I went in River Fest qualifiers. Um, it, I had a little spell in the spring when I fished commercials. Um, winter fish a lot of commercial silverfish events, um, and then the summer is 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 rivers canals if the nationals on a canal. You know I've, I've fished with some good teams, so I've I've been lucky in that way, um, and and that was my sort of focus. It was a bit of everything, taking in um, the sea the full season. But sort of end of last year, I thought you know what I wouldn't mind a go at the qualifiers. So this year I've had a proper campaign really on Fishermania, Maver match this. Um, just, just all the big commercial matches, UK champs. Um, so, so that that's that's my focus now. But so up until up until then, like, and I think it was important for my work as well for my journalism. I literally did travel the country and chasing the sort of big matches on different disciplines. You know, river fishing in the summer. Uh, what used to go down on the Norfolk rivers quite a bit. The year and the the Bure and the Thurn. Um, I fished the Wire Festival the last couple of years on 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 there. Um, and Tees Festival, the, the, the trend quite a lot last summer. Um, so I've, I've yeah, I, I've deliberately really sort of travelled probably more than I needed to just to get the level of experience on all the different venues in the UK. And also it's helped inform my work in that, you know, I, it's all very well writing about these venues, but until you've been and experienced it and spoke to the, the, the stars in those areas, um, you don't really know. So um, that, that's been my focus up to, up to last year, really. What, what do you do if there's a conflict? There's a match you really want to fish, but you also think, I'd love to make a programme about this. What, what's, oh. what's the, I mean, I, I was lucky because I didn't, I didn't have any, I was executive producer, but I didn't have any real production work to do. So I said, righto, lads, I'm fishing the John Smith this weekend. And, you know, a cameraman and an assistant producer and a producer would turn up and I'd just fish. If it wasn't, it wasn't off on the John Smiths, but it, any, any of those events. And I, Didn't you win the John Smiths? It was one of the Evesham. Yeah, I won. I won the. But uh, won both of them actually, and I was never allowed to fish the individual because I was working for Diver until ninety five. Right. Um, because I fished. I, because I fished the Saturday and the Monday. Um, yeah. John Middleton, who was my boss, wouldn't let me fish the team match as well. He used to take my place in the team match. So I never fished the team match. So I've never had a chance of doing the hat trick, um, which I, you know would have been 
if blooming lucky to win one, to win two is is off the scale, and to win three would just have been too much. But uh, yeah, I, I won the Witchhaven mostly with the barbel, and um, the Smiths off one below the Isbourne were on a few chub. And great day actually. It was next to Stu Conroy, and we had, we had a lovely. Day. Me and Stu had a lovely day because he's such a a lovely bloke and a good angler, and and he's he's brilliant to wind up. I didn't mind him up much, obviously. <laughs> going to go on the waggler now, Stu. I don't think there's much here on the waggler. Oh, this one must be two pound. You know that kind of stuff it was. Uh, <laughs> you, well, I don't know if you do know what I like because I don't think I'm not sure if you've ever fished here. I fished the UK champs, but it wasn't a commercial affair then in fact i've just written a piece um angling times asked me to nominate a favorite peg and it's so easy to go back and, and actually nominate favorite pegs. so i thought well what's the biggest weight i've ever had of a river in england it was on the trend it was a uk champs and it wasn't a, I, I, I was throwing a feeder which is something i would never i only throw feeders to win i don't yeah. fish a feeder because i enjoy it I fish a feeder when I've got to do it because it's the only way to win. And I had 58 pound at Fiskerton, on, on, which was then an unbelievable tramp weight. It's, it's, it's you know, a big way, isn't it? Yeah. Now, but yeah, 50, 58, 8, and it was a long chuck and, and I borrowed a bit of heavy line off uh, Dave Harrell for a, um, a shock leader. He was just been sponsored by Water Queen and he gave me a bit of 10 pound Water Queen and I gave it, gave it back to him at the end and it looked like the world's longest pubic hair. It had done so much casting. <laughs> it was all shriveled and kinky and, you know, had wound in 50 odd pound of chub. So it was, yeah, that was, um, that was, that was a good one. So, but that's anyway, that's my, that's my podcast, not your podcast. Um, <laughs> so it, it, but how do you, how do you make that decision? Right. I'm not going to fish today. I'm going to film it. I, I up until fairly recently, it was an easy decision because I had to put the business first and catch more media. I had to grow, and and so I went down the route. I'd, I'd always do the, the coverage first um, at the expense of my own fishing. Um, last couple of years, I've tried to redress the balance with varying success. Uh, the, the truth is, I, quite, I really enjoy both. I enjoy the coverage as well, so it, it's not too much of a hardship when I when I do do the coverage. Like, for example, I covered this year's Darrell Pole Fishing Masters, um, but I've got a couple of people now who help me with Catchmore Media. Um, Gary Rogers, you know, brilliant bloke. He's he, he's teamed up with me on on a lot of events, uh, and Rob Swan. Um, they they make my life very easy, so I'm able to fish a bit more than I could. Um, but unfortunately, I'd probably still have to say, Keith, if it's a toss-up, can I cover it or fish it? I'd have to probably still cover it just because that's uh, that, that's what pays the bills, not the fishing. <laughs> yeah, it, that's, that's so true. It, and, and, and it is a dichotomy that I was faced with uh, lots of times. But so now you, you've sort of, you are experienced at everything. Now you, you have really, in the last three or four years, gone through the whole spectrum of, of course match fishing. Hmm. What's your favourite? Oh, my favourite would have to be in, ter- in terms of pure pleasure. There's there's two that, two that come to mind. It's a draw. The first would be stick float fishing for roach. I had a couple of days on the Trent last year. Just beautiful fishing on. Um, it was on the Ingleby stretch actually, and uh, I, I, it was a final of a competition called the Rose Bowl. And I drew this this sort of M peg, and I just I didn't, I didn't have a massive weight. I think only sort of seventeen, eighteen pounds, something like that, a roach, but. I remember thinking, if if you had to write a textbook of what great, enjoyable fishing is, this is it. Because it wasn't easy, but, you know, the float would get down the bottom of the peg and you'd whack in and you'd have these great big roach come straight to the top. So that would be one. And, and the other one would probably be um, fishing to hand. I had a couple of days on the Y 
uh, the year before last on the festival, which I drew two absolute flyers, Keith. And uh, I had £93 a roach one day and £91 the other. And that was just by ball of chuck, fishing a whip. Just, oh, you know. So for me, it's a draw for them too, I'd say, for, for enjoyment. Uh, I love whip fishing and I love stick float fishing. And they've got to have red fins. Oh, yeah, they've got them. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, I, I do love roach. They are my favourite fish by a mile, I think. The sort of more let's call let's call let's call them extreme methods on on sort of the the the, the dobbing and the um the, the newfangled stuff. How we how, how are you on that? Are you do you enjoy that those kind of matches or do you avoid them? I, I used to avoid matches where I didn't like the style that would win it. If you I've, know what I've, I mean, if, if yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean, and and. and I've this year really had to embrace it because as I said, I end of last year, I thought, right, I really want to chuck myself into this commercial fishing and, and I'll be honest. And it's probably not a great thing to admit, but I was a lot further behind than I thought I was. I thought I was quite good at that sort of fishing. And I've, I've done it for the last few months. I've thought, hold on Tom, you're not as good as you think here. You know, things like mugging, you know, it's a real art form. It's, People like Jamie Hughes don't win every week by chance. It's They are a long way ahead in front. And I've really enjoyed embracing embracing these methods and learning more about them. Um, you know, and I'm lucky and I'm, I'm, I'm very good friends with Christian Jones and Jordan Holloway who've, um, you know, they're two much younger anglers who, but that's really, they've put a lot of focus into that full time for the last few years and they are dead on the money with these methods and they've helped me a lot. Um so yeah, um, I'll do it, and, and I'm really working hard this year to improve at it, um, because you know there's this, and it fascinates me, Keith. There's this elite group of three or four anglers: Andy Bennett, Jamie Hughes, Christian. I'm going to say are probably actually the three anglers who have taken it to the next level, and the results prove it. Such high levels of consistency, and as a match angler, that fascinates me. The fact that they're that good and win that consistently in big matches. Um, by mastering these these methods, you know, as you say, the the self hooking um, method, you know, at Tunnel Barn Farm uh, a couple of weeks ago on the pole fishing masters, it was apparent walking round. Not many people had got it as absolutely taped, but you watch Christian do it, and, and people think, oh, how can there be any skill in overshotting a pole float and waiting for your elastic to pull out? Well, watch him do it. There is, it's unbelievable. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's where I am with that. Really, learning, travel, learn as fast as I can. <laughs> do, do you find it's also hard to know what they're doing? I mean, you can see what they're doing, but to know why they're doing it exactly how they're doing. I was really impressed with Christian on Fishermania last year. I've got to say, he he yeah. was very very impressive. And I could only see him turning my head around a bit and through a monitor. So I, yeah. I, I I wasn't sat behind him, you know, like tuning in to what he was doing. But he mm. was very impressive on that. And and do you think they do you think they're actually responding to the fish, or do you think they are making the fish respond to them? I think it's the, definitely the former. They are they are responding to the fish, and there's two things that really brought that home to me this year. First of all, Christian told me straight up front. He said. The worst, biggest mistake most match anglers make is they go to the peg with a plan. They go, right, I'm going to Heronbrook today, and I'm and they're driving there, and they're thinking, I'm going to fish Caster Shallow, and I'm going to fish down the edge of ground bait and worms. 
and they draw the peg and they go and do that. Well, that is bad angling because they're not reading the water at all and they're not adapting the plan to what the water's telling them. Um, another thing that struck me, I've uh, been watching quite a few live matches of an evening when I've been preparing. And if you ever watch the likes of Jamie Hughes early on in a match, when you watch these live matches, he never stops looking round. He is like nope. twitching, looking everywhere. His eyes are all over the water. And, it, and um, I definitely think that's, that's when they're forming the plan. That's when they are sussing out how they're going to fish. Um, Almost and, uh, subconsciously. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I think like one mistake I think I've made uh, in how I've thought about this kind of fishing is on a natural venue, it's often about priming a line, isn't it? Like say, for example, you'll be feeding a hemp line for later or a castor line for later or nurturing a swim. I think commercial fishing is much less important. It's much more about bang wallop often. If, if you think something, if you think the fish are in 18 inches, not two and a half foot, and you all of a sudden put a kinder pot of bait in 18 inches, you will catch straight away. It's instant and you'll catch it. So I think getting that preconception out of my head has been quite useful, uh, that it's not about nurturing. It's much more about getting to that point, getting to that, that stage in your match where you've got the how the fish are feeling in your head and you can really catch them quickly. And that's what these lads do so well. They just suss out the very best ways of catching faster than everybody else and then do it really efficiently. I remember Kenny Giles saying to me, donkeys, donkeys years ago, probably on the Warwickshire Haven actually, never catch the last fish in your swim. Yeah. So you'd feel it starting to go and you'd change lines. Yeah. And you'd keep popping a little bait on that, little bit of bait on that first line, but you never, never went like, 10 casts without a bite. If you'd done that, you knew it was, oh, no, I've got to throw a feeder out now or, or whatever. But, yeah, that was that was Kenny's advice. And it's quite different quite different on commercials because you, you really want to empty a bit and then bring them back. It seems to me that sounds yeah. more like the style. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I remember filming Andy Power when he broke the home book record a few years ago. And, and the, again, it, it sort of fell into what I'm, I've learned this year, but, but I didn't realise it as much at the time. He was catching Keith an F1 every single chuck shallow. And he got 20 top kits set up, all with different length dibbers and different size rigs on. And quite literally, sometimes he'd go out, he'd feed some bait, he'd flick his rig into the bait. And if it didn't go under within 10 seconds, and I'm not exaggerating, within t- 10 seconds, he'd be back in, different rig on, back out. And I'm like, hold on, you're catching one a chuck. Like, as I was then, I'd think, well, I'd have waited 20 seconds for a bite. And I would have. But that's the difference, isn't it? That sort of that reading of um, how quick they are to change when there's that many fish there to really maximise the amount of catch. He's another one right up there too, isn't he? Yeah, he's in, I missed his name off. It's, yeah, definitely. It's them four, really, isn't it? Powers, Bennett, Jamie, and Kristen, I think. Yeah, they're, they're just um, every time I see him, when he drew it. Um, Westbrook last year on the um, on, on Fishermania, mm. um, I tipped that peg to do well with barbel. Yeah, and one of the finalists said to me, "No chance. There's no barbel in here now. They've all died." Right. So I thought, "Oh, that's that's weird because I've been told it's a reasonable barbel peg." Mm. And and like the first hour, Andy Andy Powell just caught barbel after barbel after barbel <laughs> after barbel. And I said to Rob Barber, who, the co-presenter, I said, "Yeah, Rob, I told you, didn't I? Don't listen to these people. Listen to me. I know." And, <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's 
he's a phenomenon. And unfortunately, he ran out of them and, and, and did other stuff. So, yeah, but, but he's good. So you're enjoying your commercial fishing. And as you say, you've got this learning curve. And, you know, you, you spoke about stick float fishing, the, the classic. Yeah. The, the classical style of stick float fishing, which is very – again, there were people, stick float anglers that – that people like John Dean that made it talk. Mm, mm. And when you looked at their floats and they were slightly different, their floats, even though commercially made, you know, whoever was making them, they were slightly different, different, slightly different shape, a different body shape, a different tip shape. And, and when you, when I started fishing with them, you could see why. And, and I, I, John Dean's, I think were probably the only stick floats with wire stems that I didn't change. Right. Everything else I changed. Took took one wire out and put a different wire or a longer wire or whatever. Mostly because the Thames. I'm I'm pointing like that because the Thames is just over there. Um, the the Thames is a very different river to fish on a stick float than the Trent. It's not got so much flow. Oh. It tends to the depth doesn't. Yeah, it, it, it's a very different. So they needed to be slightly different, and I used to play about with them. But um, yeah, Dino Dinos were probably the only ones. I only used the wire stem ones. I didn't like the nylon stem ones he did. But, uh, yeah, the wire stem ones, uh, he, he, they were good. I was never as good at fishing a stick float as him, but uh, at least I had one of his floats I could use. <laughs> <laughs> so um, do you think you're going to maintain your, your commercial fishing um, career? Do you, do you think you're going to stick to that and, and, and try and make up background to the top lads or you're happy doing what you're doing now because you know you they're all beatable they don't all win every week i mean I win most weeks but they don't all win every week but you know have you got aspirations to get up there or are you very very happy doing what you're doing now i'll tell you what i'd like to do keith my mission is to win one i'd like to win one of the big you know fishermania maven match this or golden reel that i'd love to do that if i could do that then i'd probably go back to my river fishing Tomorrow, if you know what I mean, because that's mm. for pure enjoyment. I do prefer natural venues, if I'm hundred percent honest, just because mm. I, I, I enjoy the styles of fishing more, especially float fishing. Um, but then again, I can't not have a go at this because I love match fishing, I love the competition, and I, I feel that there's this brilliant circuit there that's buzzing and, and full of like young anglers who are really good, and it, it it's. Such a good circuit on the commercials at the minute. I can't not have a go at it. Um, and listen, I'm 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 enjoying the learning. I know it sounds. Uh, so I've perhaps been a bit disappointed with some results. Like I mean, I've been very lucky. I've had a, a good peg this year and won the commercial national. So I've, I've won a big match fairly early on in, in having a go at it, which gave me a lot of confidence. But since then, I've had quite a few knocks, and I've. I've but I've enjoyed it because I'm learning. And, and I think, hold on a minute, Tom, you're improving here. You, you know you're getting better. You, you're enjoying the process. So if it takes a few years to, to win one, I'll probably keep going until until I do, really. Um, but that's not to say I won't have um, plenty of pleasure fishing on the rivers. And the nice thing is after about September, the, the big money events have finished. So I can have September, yeah. October, November on the on the Y and, the, and, and, uh, and, and go on the festival on there, which I always enjoy. So... It won't be the end of river fishing for me, but I'll probably just do a bit less through the summer um, until I feel I can uh, hopefully crack one of these big events, which I'd, I'd love to do. And it might never happen, but I'll, I'll have a go at it. Do you do the wintertime fins thing? No, wintertime, round here, we're really lucky. Um, I fish Hawcroft uh, in the winter, which has a great silver fishing league, um, teams of four. Uh, and um, myself... Matt Godfrey, uh, Andy Goldart and James Dent put a team in that 
um, every year. And it, the great match is something... It's not a bad team. No, it, it's, uh, it's, it's on the weak link, as you can imagine. But there's... Uh, there's 72 of us on that every week, uh, through the, through every other week, through the through the winter. That's brilliant. And then um, another venue I discovered last year, which I've, I'm ashamed to say I've never really fished, but what a venue. And that's Messingham Sands up near Scunthorpe. Um, we had some great great winter fishing there last year. Again, um, commercial silverfish. Um, I'll say that in adverted commas because F1s count. So it's silverfish and goldfish and crucians and that sort of thing, F1s. Um, but Not carp. No, no, carp don't count. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, we, we had sort of weights up to up to hundred pound of, of of those, and even even through the ice, we were catching you know fifty or sixty pound of of um, all sorts up there. So that was a great league this year, um, last year, should I say? So yeah, through the winter, it, it's those two formats. I, I do um, fish the, some of the qualifiers. That now is the Winter Classic that um, Gary Rogers runs. So I, I fish those as well um, on the spare days, but. I do enjoy Keith at the winter leagues because that's um, you know it, it's that chance to fish in a league environment, which is a match angler I probably find more enjoyable than the qualification thing because it's about consistency isn't it? and you can get your teeth into it. It's, it's the one occasion when enjoyment and endurement become the same thing. You, you sometimes have to endure the fishing, but you, it, it's enjoyable in its own weird way i suppose it's it's like you know being in a bondage or something you're like being tied up and whacked with something winter league fishing can be a bit like that at times isn't it? No, something i've never chosen to do the former but i've done quite a lot of the latter and and really enjoyed my winter league fishing and you know going on the thames not, obviously i can't do it now there's no i don't think there's a winter league oh there is probably further up and sort of oxford way winter leagues on the thames hmm. but going out when you know it's a one bite day yeah and you see people fannying around trying to catch a gudgeon or a bleak or a Tommy Ruff when you know the fish most likely to bite is a chub. So yeah. you put a lump of crust on the size of a matchbox, chuck it out and wait. Yeah. And eventually, you know, boing, unless you're very unlucky, you'll get a chance. And all you've got to do is convert that chance into, into a fish in the net. And and I used to I used to enjoy that. That was something it wasn't for me on open open match fishing. I'd be more inclined to to pop along to the canal or something and and you know, in those days, we what's on next weekend? Nothing. Okay, I'll run one on the canal. And you yeah. find three different tackle shops, and by Thursday, you've got 80 pegs and you're turning people away. Yeah. And that was that was what it was like back in back in the 80s. That's exactly what it was like. And, oh, no, the tide's right this week. I, I live near Richmond, so we, mm. oh, we'll stick one on the tidal. Yeah. And, oh, we've got 60 pegs. We can put 60 pegs in between River Lane and Am Car Park, and you're turning people away on, on the Thursday because you, you've got your 60. You know, it, it's, oh, yeah. it's things things don't happen like that that, that so much nowadays. But you're also um, involved with FUCA, and, and I'm going to pronounce it like that because I believe it's probably right. Um, I've heard it called all sorts of things, in, including some that I wouldn't like to record, but for Juca, um, I, I'm I'm I'm... I'm using my Scandinavian bent as, as a, a, a lady around here who's, who's got a horse and I look after a wife's ponies and she's from Finland and she says it's Fuka. So well, I believe her. Well, yeah, so it sounds good to me. I call it Fuka, but there's, there's, I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think it was deliberately labelled uh, as, as something that could be pronounced in any number of ways. Um, is my favourite. A lot of people put an A in it just to make it yeah, more that, polite. That's the one that I, I hear more often is Fajuka, yeah. Yeah. How did you get into that? Well, um, obviously, uh, in, uh, in 2017, after I left the magazine, I set up Catch More Media, which is sort of um, a business that, that, that specialises in, 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 or at that time, its main focus was helping companies 
who are maybe a bit smaller or starting up, get some social media exposure through uh, the channels that I created. And I got a phone call from David Preston, who was setting up um, Fuka at that point. And uh, he asked me if I'd go up and, and, and meet with him. And I did. And we, we got on really well, actually. And I could see what he was doing with the brand. And obviously, with his uh, previous record, uh, Preston Innovations and everything, I thought, this is something I really... It's a genius. Yeah. The bloke's a genius. That's, you know... A marketing genius and and a, a pro, well a product development genius is what he what he is. Absolutely, yeah, he, he is. And I, I just thought this is somebody I want to work with. This is this is something I want to do. So I I, um, I took myself in, in right from the early days. Really, first of all, we catch more media. Did quite a lot of freelance work with them, um, helping with the marketing. Uh, I used to. Have a, one of my favourite projects in the early days was basically we went around to all different venues, just giving some bait out to people and, and filming and fish with it. And if you look back on the Fuka YouTube channel, a lot of them videos are still there. Um, and it was great, really, to see you know how, how people responded to this new, different bait that was totally unlike anything they'd seen before in a lot of cases. And, and you know, it, it caught fish. Um, so from there... Um, I eventually joined up, up full time. I, I sort of um, in 20, uh, 20, 2021, I joined full time. Uh, I had sort of 12, 12 months with them um, in a full time capacity, and that, that, that were brilliant. And then um, I'm now, um, I needed a bit more time on Catch More Media because it was getting a bit neglected. So I've sort of gone back to freelance and I'm sort of juggling the two at the moment. Um, but I've loved every minute of it. I mean, it's a brilliant product. And I mean, the sort of the strap line for it, Keith, has always been the Fuku revolution, and 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 that's got you know that's true. It is a revolutionary product in that what he's trying to do with it is make fishing more accessible, more easy for people. Um, you know, he, he always says he likes people to be able to grab a bag and go, and that's the idea. You know, you've got this bait that you can keep in the boot of your car, literally hook it, feed it for your average angler. Your pleasure angler, the two-in-one baits are brilliant, and now all the time we're developing baits that are, you know, perfect for match anglers, specimen anglers, using a lot of the same technology, the Sensate technology, which is the fish attractant in it, but putting that into different forms. So it's a constantly evolving thing, and I know uh, obviously we've sent you some bait, and you've had some some good days on it with the kids as well. It's incredible, mate. I mean, I I can honestly say this um on, on the place where i'm fishing which is our charities ponds at, at north Alley, we've got six little ponds there, small ponds and i've got a lot of fishing mm. and we catch we, we've got well all manner of fish we don't catch many rudd on it mm. and i think it's because the rudd are looking up all the time and you can't get a maggot to go more than six inches below the surface yeah and either a rudd or a perch that's got fed up watching all the rudd take it coming up and, and taking it with them on the top. The roach won't come right up. So by mm. fishing a fuca pellet on the hook and throwing a few in from time to time, you mustn't throw too many in because everything comes up then. But yeah. I, we've, I've had some cracking roach. And, and the kids have had cracking roach on it. And, and bream, you know, again, we've not got any big – the ponds are too small for big bream. But I've had them up to two and a half pound on it, you know, and, and it's it's so easy to fish. And, and – I always think, you know, I was very keen on Maruku bait when that came over. I thought the ground bait was absolutely revolutionary. Mm. It caught fish, but mainly it caught fish because on the back it said 
add two pints of, or two measures of ground bait and one and a half measures of water and mix it up and it'll be perfect. And it was. Yeah. And there is not another ground bait that's done that yet. And I can't understand it because, oh, I use that sensor stuff. It's crap. It all floated. Or I use that sensor stuff and, and it said bream and I didn't catch any bream. And, and mixing ground bait is one of the most technically difficult things we do as anglers. Yes. Preparing hook pellets is right up there with it. Yeah. It's right up there. Preparing expander pellets or, or softening hard pellets to put is right up there with it. And Maruku made the ground bait a piece of cake, but it was never sold on that principle. It yeah. was never sold as the easiest ground bait you will ever use. And but Fuca is. Fuca is this is easy. You can pick it up, you don't need a band, you don't need a spigot, you don't need this, you don't need a book in it. If you don't like it that shape, squeeze it. Yeah. If yeah. you want it round, roll it. If you want it bigger, mix two together. If you want it red and white, and, and you you can literally do anything with it. Um, and people will, I see on, on your social media, and I, I tried them Fuca pellets today. They're useless, useless. I, I, I fished on, didn't have anything on pellets. And because they're a miracle bait, I thought I'd try them. Didn't do any better at all. And, you know, it, it's completely the wrong way to go about it. It took me, I can't remember how long it took me to learn how to fish with hemp. Yeah. But I learned how to fish with hemp by not taking anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all I was going to catch on was hemp because all I had. It's funny you and say eventually that. you learn. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, when I first was tasked with working with David on it, the first thing I did was do exactly what you said. I just took Fuka down to the local pond, nothing else, bag of yellow two in one, and I, and I thought in my head, right, we'll see how good this stuff is then. We'll see if it's any good. And I chuck some in. And I waited, and I'm like, oh, it's not gone under yet. Five minutes later, went under, caught a carp, and then I caught one every single chuck for the rest of the day. I did the same thing on the Sheffield Canal. And, and the nice thing was I filmed a lot of it. I say it's up there on YouTube because I wanted just to be able to show people, look, this bait really does work. Now, I'm not saying for one minute it's a, a miracle bait. I, I don't think there's any such thing as a bait that can catch fish that don't want to feed. It's as simple as that. But I've caught – If there is, it's a worm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Or a maggot, I suppose. Yeah, that, that's the closest you're going to get. No, worms, be, worm, worms, worms going to catch better, better than, I mean, you're only going to catch one, you've got to catch it on a worm before you catch it on a maggot, I think. But anyway, that's true. Yeah. Oh, worm, worm, worm's worm, a miracle, baby. mate. Yeah, I mean, it, worm, yeah. It, it, it's always it really what they want to eat on the day, isn't it? But at the end of the day, I've caught so yeah. many fish on it. I'm mega confident with it. Um, and, and the beauty of it now is we've got this Fuka Anglers Forum, which is a Facebook group. And there's about 7,000 members on there now. And, and all of them post their catch reports, what they catch on Fuka bait. And it's, if, you, if you look down, it's quite staggering, some of the fish that, that people are catching on it. Um, and it, it's just lovely to see this evolution. You mentioned there, Keith, the Maruku ground bait. I'm, I don't know whether I should tell you this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to because he who dares wins, they say. Uh, Fuka's got a range of squeeze-ready ground bait coming out very soon. I think it's the end of the month, end of, or end of July, should I say. Um, which is literally ground bait, ready to go in a pack. It's ready, it, it's it's wet, i.e. you can literally squeeze it, chuck a ball in and, and, and catch. Um, and so that's going to be the next addition to the range with some squeeze-ready ground bait and squeeze-ready method pellets. So again, it's it's just making it easy for people to, to go fishing. I'm on a Facebook group called Old Codgers. All right. And the number of questions... How do you mix this ground bait? How do you prepare your pellets? How do you, how do you hook pellets? The number of those, because we're old. 
Mm. You know, the, the, the name of the group gives it away. I mean, some people cheat, they're only in their 50s, but, <laughs> but mostly I'm, I'm by no means the oldest on there and I'm very old. And, and you don't, the, the, most of this stuff is a mystery to people. They mm. read about it and, and you can go and watch Steve Ringer preparing pellets and, and it looks very complex. But if you can get it in a bag mm. that's all ready to go, one squeeze your hand, chuck it in, and it actually disperses or actually gets to the bottom if you give it two squeezes or, or whatever. That information has, hasn't been available. I, I remember once reading a very, very, very famous England international of yesteryear mm. writing on a ground bait packet, mix it to the de- – no, not in a ground – in an advert, mm. mix it to the desired consistency. Well, what's that? Well <laughs> – Exactly. That's exactly my point. Whereas add two cups of water to two cups of ground bait and stir it up a bit. That's easy. I've mentioned already, I'm I'm responsible for looking after a a couple of ponies. Mm. And one of them is not very well. He's got loose teeth. He's fine, but he's got loose teeth. So he can't Mm. eat carrots and stuff like that. So he's on a mash feed. Mm. And you put in one scoop of pellets, one scoop of water, and in five minutes, it's ground bait. Yeah. In five minutes, you can go and like throw it in the lake. It's perfectly mixed ground bait. If you want it for a river, you'd probably put one and a half scoops in yeah. and one scoop of water. Uh, and, but it's, it's per- and I can't understand. There's one for Dave because he'll be able to do it. Yeah. Pellet ground bait. You can use them as pellets, loose feed. If you want it as ground bait, add one pint of water, one pint of pellets, and you've got – and this stuff, it's made by spillers. It's It's just – I can't remember. It's old pensioners one. My pony's is on because he's old. But it's it's that kind of seniors, I think it's called, and mm. and it's just perfect. You put that much in a bucket, that much water on top of it. By the time I've walked from the stables to the field, it's 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 mash. It's it's brilliant, and yeah. I've never understood why. Well, probably nobody's ever thought of it, or it might be too different. But Dave's made different, isn't he? Dave yeah. has done different. Oh, it, it, Dave has now produced different. It's uh, absolutely, and and the thing that that sort of. I realized very quickly when we started going fishing together is he is his target market in that he doesn't like, he's almost like a match angler in a specimen angler's body. In yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. He fishes <laughs> specimen style, but he wants fast bites. He's like, I want to bite straight yeah. away. So he's fishing like with, you know, carp rods sometimes, or he will fish a pole, but it's very much about getting to the bank, trying to catch a big fish, but trying to do it quick. And, and, and Fook is all about that as well. It's about getting bites quick. It's about being really easy to use. Um, and, and most importantly, I think, being affordable because it's tough times, isn't it, for a lot of people, you know, and, and so yeah. it's keen to keep that price down. So it's um, no, it, it's a project I've really enjoyed being involved with up to now and I'm, I'm really excited about in the future. It's, it's good. How about working with Tommy? Tommy oh, he's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tommy's been on, on on the podcast a couple of times, and he's super, he's just superb. I've never known in all my life anyone so inspirational, so um, just bursting with joy about fishing. Yes, yeah, he is. Um, and enthusiastic is the word. You know, and and to work with him, like it's a great honour, but uh, but it's also taught me an awful lot not just about fishing. I mean, I've learned loads about fishing, but also about uh, marketing, about pr- presentation, about, as you say, being engaging. He's just, as you say, an inspirational bloke, isn't he? Um, yeah, it, it's an honour to work with him, really. It's, it's brilliant. 
His demeanour's great as well. I mean, you know, you, you couldn't wish, providing providing you're fair with him, providing people are fair with him, you couldn't wish to meet anyone better on the bank, could you? He's, yeah. he's just he's just the, the sort of, if, if you wanted to pick an angler to represent the sport, Tommy would be right up there, mm. I think. He prides himself on it, doesn't he? He prides himself on, yeah. on being professional. That's the word, isn't it, I suppose? Um, and I always remember yeah. some years ago, um, it, it was a golden a real golden rod final. Um, this was before we were working together at Fuka, actually, but the, the final had just finished and, and Tommy, I don't think he'd done particularly well and everyone had gone back for the presentation and Phil Briscoe was suffering at that time uh, with cancer, bless him. And, uh, and Tommy stood up, this like room full of anglers, can I have a minute, lads? And he basically gave this talk saying, you know, you've got to thank and respect Phil for everything he's doing for fishing and how he's, you know, brought this event forward. And, and everybody listened and everybody clapped them both at the end. And I thought, how many people would have stood up and given that praise to a match organiser? You know, just that's why he's a leader and that's why he, he's Tommy Pickering, isn't it? He's, he's inspirational. That's spot on. That That's that. That encapsulates him really because that is the sort of thing he does after, you know, I fished a couple of UK champs and Tom's always the first one up front. We're all good at singing where we're winning, you know, standing by the microphone on the John Smith to say, oh, it's been great and thank I think it's a wonderful event and everything. But when when you've not necessarily had a great day and you've watched someone else cut off with 10 grand, it's it's not always the easiest thing in the world, world to do. But he does it and, and he really enjoys doing it. I, I'm lucky. I've known him, oh, blimey, getting on for 50 years. Mm. Certainly over 40 years. I remember having a chat with him after Barnsley won the 79 No Fish National on the on the Ooze and Cam when Barnsley had 11 weigh-in and Tommy was the one who didn't. <laughs> and I said to him, and he had a, do you remember the, well, you probably don't remember, but he, he, Barnsley at the time were wearing Dartex like Dorking and he had this black Dartex suit on. Mm. And in those days, I mean, he was he was like a pipe cleaner. He yeah. was as you know skinny as a rake. I said you should have dived in the net, Tom. Weighed yourself in as an eel. <laughs> and it was, um, you know, we, we had we had. A, well, I had a laugh about that. I'm not sure he laughed. Can't remember. But uh, yeah, we, we we've stayed pretty good mates over the years, and and he is a super a superb angler. And and I love having him on here and talk. He's been on a couple of times, and and I could have him on every week. You know, he's just uh, he's just a great bloke to talk to. Definitely. And, and you're. Do you fish with him on the few days, or do you go out and film him? Uh, a bit of both, really. Yeah. So um, I've, I've filmed quite yeah. a lot of stuff with him in the past. On the on the actual Fuka Roadshow days, we both fish. Like uh, last couple we've done, I've fished pole and Tommy's fished feeder, and that's been nice because let people yeah. see the bait being used in different ways, um, which has worked really well. Yeah. Okay, Tom. Just 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 tell us what you're doing. Right today, we've got and, and it, it, he knows, doesn't he? Right the way through from the beginning to the end. You don't have to ask, oh, what about this? What about it? He just goes off and full stop on the end. Thank you. That's it, print. Oh, absolutely. Uh, on the last uh, last day, we went down to Alder's Farm, Trev, Trev Price's place, and uh, he oh, yeah. literally he rallied everybody around. He said, right, I'm going to give a demonstration now on preparing pellets. Um, and he, he showed how to prepare pellets with a sensate dye that we're doing, but literally captivated about there were 30 people. And from, from young kids of 10 to – people of 70 or 80 years old watching him engrossed in what he's saying. And I just looked over and I thought, oh, that's a real talent, that is. That's that's more than yes, just an angling thing. That's a personality thing, isn't it? And a, a, a way of talking to people that, that brings them just, in. Just a communicator, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So you're going to keep on you're going to keep on your commercial trait? Have you got close to any qualifiers? Are there any – you got any more to go? 
Uh, I've got quite a few left to go. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm next month's quite busy with different qualifiers. I'm out tomorrow actually at Heronbrook on the on the Fisher Mania. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I've not, I've not, I wouldn't say as yet, Keith. I've had a, a peg that I think should have won uh, or where I could have won from. I've had a couple where I've been um, close to the winner and, and seen them catch, catch a load of fish, um, and I've definitely had. A, most of them, I'd say, where I've come away thinking I could have done a bit better and caught a few more. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like if I got a chance, I'd have a decent decent chance of taking it, if that makes sense. Um, I've just got to mm. keep going and keep learning and hopefully, touch wood, either this year or next year, the, the penny drops on one of them. Um, mm. Yeah, so that, that's the plan. At least you don't... At least you don't know what I when when Fishermania first started, and I was I was working for Sky when I was given a ticket for a qualifier every year yeah. on the condition that if I won, I couldn't fish the final. No, well that's a, that's a terrible, isn't it? That's all. <laughs> yeah, the best the best I, I was sixth at Drayton, and that was that was the best I ever did. And and uh, I used to have a bit of fun bit of fun on it, and because I had to stand up at the beginning and say, "Look, lads, this is the score. Yeah, if I win, whoever is second will get the 500 quid and will get to go to the final, but I will keep the pools. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be fishing as an open while they were all fishing it, to, you know, to, to to win 25 grand or whatever it is now um, later on. That would have been tough if you'd Yeah, oh. would, well, yeah, but it's when it's a job, it's a job, isn't it? and, you know, you, you don't think, oh, I might win, but, um, yeah, if I do, if I do, at least people will pat me on the back again. Yeah, <laughs> especially the boat with a five hundred quid and the golden ticket. Oh, too. Right. It's amazing. It's been great chatting to you. Thank you for inviting me. Really appreciate. It. Yeah, really enjoyed You're it. Welcome, mate, and good luck for the future. And I do hope you get one of those big money prizes. And I know it's not the money, and it isn't the money. You want to be able to say, "I've won that." Yes, that'd be uh, that for me would be amazing. Um, so yeah, hopefully I'll keep trying anyway, Keith, and keep learning, and hopefully one day we'll get there. Well, good luck to your drawing arm and your fishing and your focus finger in your filming, mate. And uh, I'll speak to you. I'll see you one day on the bank, I dare say. Yeah, I'll see you soon. Thanks again. Well, I really enjoyed that chat with Tom. And there's no denying he's making a great success of fishing and his media business. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, if this is your first strange boat, there's a big back catalogue available. I'll be back soon with another ship, mate. But for now, from me, Keith Arthur, it's cheers and tight lines. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.